The Bible, the Bible reading this morning is taken from Hebrews, verses 10, 19 to 31. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 31. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, thanks for bearing with me. Thanks, uh, Justin, for that Bible reading. Uh, Justin is with Tebza in the Irene Life Group. I just confirmed with Tebza before I came up here, it remains the world's greatest life group. Uh, and I know that Tebza gets up on, on life group mornings at 2 o'clock to bake his own cake to serve to the members there. So please consider joining uh, Tebza's life group if you're in the area. Come and chat to him afterwards. Come and talk to him about life group or just to exchange recipes. I'm sure he'll be willing. <laughs> Folks, we're going to uh, just enter our time together with a word of prayer. So please will you join me. Father, we are grateful to you for this opportunity now to sit under your word. As always, there is nothing that we need more than an encounter with you through your Son, the risen Lord Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. So please, will you be with us? Amen. COVID, as we all know, has given absolutely everything a shake-up, and uh, church is obviously no different. Before COVID, we were running, if you can recall back, if you were with us, uh, recall back to that time, we were running three services every Sunday with something like 700 to 1,000 people involved. Now we are restricted to two services, uh, 
depending on what level of regulation we're at with anything from 250 to 50 people per service, and everybody else is online. People ask me how our church is going. I have no idea. Uh, There's only so much you can tell from Google Analytics or YouTube statistics. We used to run a whole range of midweek activities and meetings here at church. Now we are reduced to uh, life group meetings, some of whom are meeting in person, others are still restricted to Zoom. There's just not much else happening. We want to be very thankful to God for the technology that allows us to meet. You just think about Christians who lived through the Spanish flu. They had to choose between staying healthy or gathering. It's a pretty stark choice, spiritual health or physical health. Because of Zoom, we face no such dilemma. But things certainly have changed, and I think they are changing us. COVID has presented us with this awkward question. Do we really have to gather physically? Do we really have to meet? Because let's be honest, it is so nice to roll out of bed at 9.27, wander through to the living room in your PJs, flop on the couch, scratch your belly, and turn on church at home. And of course, even 9.30 is optional. It's optional because you can watch the recording on YouTube. So that means Sunday morning you can now mow the lawn, go for a run, have a longer lie-in, take someone to breakfast at the Mall of Africa. You can let your kid play sports on a Sunday without it pricking your conscience. You don't have to choose. So nice to just have a relaxing Sunday morning. And maybe the best part, you can have church but without the people. Because we all know the problem with church is the people. right? It's not all people, it's just the other people. But with church at home, you get the best of both worlds. You get the spiritual top-up, but without the hassle of the people. It's just you and your iPad. It doesn't take long, and you also realize, I don't need to go to church at home, Christ Church Midrand on a Sunday morning, I'm not confined to CCM at all. I can just listen to John Piper in my car on the way to work. That's still church, isn't it? That's our question this morning. Why church? And by church, I mean the people of God gathered under his word. So I'm using church as a verb to mean gathering with others to hear God speak to us from the Bible. Why do we do that? Why do we gather in that way? Why church? People have a number of reasons for doing church. For some, it's the social aspect. For others, it's the spiritual inspiration for the week, that that Christian life coaching. For some, it's a place to dress up and be seen on a Sunday morning. For others, it's just habits. We come to church out of habits. We'll come back to that one. That one's very pertinent to us this morning. Can I say right at the beginning, if those are your motivations, your church attendance is unlikely to survive COVID. COVID is going to show you that you either you don't really need those things, or they're just much better places to get those needs met. We have to have more substantial answers to the question, why church? And Hebrews 10 gives them to us. 
Our key verse, Michelle referenced it for us this morning. Our key verse is verse 25. And this is a slightly different translation to the one you have if you are with us in the ESV. But this is what it says. Let us not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're asking the question, why church? Why meet together under God's word? In Hebrews 10, we have in crystal clarity, in high definition, the command, the purpose, and the motivation for meeting together. The command, the purpose, the motivation. Very simple. First, the command. There it is, verse 25. Have a look at it. Do not neglect meeting together. That is a command from God. And so it's enough. God said it, we believe it, that settles it. The fact that God has commanded us to meet together is reason enough to do it. I could stop talking right now. But God is such a kind and gracious Father. And He very seldom tells us to do something because I said so, like we do as parents. He does do that occasionally, and when he does, we need to sit up straight and listen. But more often than not, he helps us by giving us purpose and motivation. We're going to get there to purpose and motivation, but, but let it just land. Just live in this truth for a moment. Meeting together is a command from God. First, the command. Second, the purpose. I'm going to break from a long-standing and proud tradition here at Christ Church. My second point, my second point is by far the longest. <laughs> meet together for what? For what purpose? Why are we meeting together? There it is, verse 25. Meet together to encourage one another. Oh, you lost your job. Your mother contracted COVID. You're struggling with this sexual sin. Okay, well, you know, believe in yourself and you can do it. And by the way, you look wonderful. I love your outfit. It's going to take more than that, isn't it? It's going to take more than our usual platitudes. The writer to the Hebrews gives us so much more. In this section of the letter, he's encouraging this local church. And, and what he's asking them to do is precisely what he's busy doing, right? So, so he's modeling encouragement for them. Even as he calls them to encourage one another, he's modeling it. What does he encourage them to do? There are three let us statements in the passage that we read, that Justin read for us. Three encouragements. So they're there. Have a look there. Verse 22 Verse 23, verse 24, back to back. They've chased after each other. We start with verse 24 just because it's the closest to our key verse, verse 25, and we'll work our way backwards. So verse 24, let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We meet together to encourage each other or to spur each other on. Your translation might say stir one another up. Uh, I think literally it's provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Put it the other way around. If we are going to encourage each other in love and good deeds, the logic is we need to meet together. 
Why is that? What is the connection between meeting together and loving each other? I think there are at least three strands to it. Three strands to this cord. Need, example, imagination. Start with need. There is no shortage of need in the body of Christ. I'm sure you know that. Because there's no shortage of need, there is no shortage of opportunity to love people in the body of Christ. But to know that, you have to know them. And to know them, you have to meet with them. I'm going to share with you um, what some of our church family have been going through just in the first three months of this year. And these are not abstract categories. In each and every case, I have a face or faces in mind. So in the first three months of this year, some people in our redeemed family have contracted COVID and have been hospitalized. Some have lost their jobs. Some have contracted COVID and lost their jobs. Some are battling deep clinical depression. Many are facing severe financial constraints. Some have even suffered a death in the immediate family. And that's just our church family. You think about the wider community, the needs just multiply. There's no shortage of good deeds to be done. But you only discover those needs by meeting. Because meeting builds trust. And without trust, people are not just going to share their most desperate needs with you. It's just how it works. It's just how human interaction works. So need connects love with meeting. So does example. Our passage says, spur one another on, stir one another up. I like spur because it's such a visual, vivid image. You know what a spur is? That, that metal spike that cowboys wear in their boots. You know, when they walk into the saloon, they jangle, right? And they jingle. It's because of the spurs. That spur is a metal spike. When that cowboy digs his heels into the horse's ribcage, that horse is shocked into life. That horse starts to move with urgency. That's what the example of other people's love and kindness does for us. When I hear about Kate looking after orphans, or Dudu and the way she cares for her brother, or baby and the way she opens her home, or Dikileti and the way she walks the streets of Tembisa to hand out food vouchers to vulnerable people. When I hear that, it says to me, hey, Frost, get off your backside and find someone to love. Doesn't it do that for you? Meeting means that we know about the need and we also see others doing something about it. And that stirs us up. That provokes us. The third connection between love and meeting together is imagination. Because meeting means we get to put our heads together. That word consider, in let us consider how to spur one another on, that word implies deliberate thought and intent. 
That means that we dream and scheme together about, about love and good works. I mean, is there a better topic on which to come together? Because love is a team sport. An individual can only do so much. But you set love loose in a community called the local church, called the redeemed family of servants on mission, and it takes on a dynamic all its own. It's not something you can control or plan. Of course, for any of that to happen, we need to meet. We need to be together. We need to connect. We need to encourage each other. That's the first encouragement, verse 24. The second encouragement is in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Michelle did such a good job on this verse, I feel like I can skip it. Let me, I spent all week, so let me give it to you anyway. We need to meet together to encourage each other in hope. We need to remind each other that our hope doesn't have to waver. It doesn't need to be fickle. It doesn't need to be, we don't need to be tossed about on the waves of this life. Why? Because our hope is not anchored in my ability to hope. It is anchored in the character of a God who keeps his promises. Now that's a message worth hearing, isn't it? That's a, meth, a message worth sharing. Right now, we live in a fairly hopeless world. What hope is the world offering us right now? A vaccine at some point? A tourist payment? But what if your government didn't order vaccines? What if the vaccine doesn't work on a particular strain of the virus? What if TERS runs out of money, which it almost inevitably will? When you are in hospital facing death, as members of this church family have, it is too, it's a little too late to be filling out your TERS application form, isn't it? It's a little too late for a vaccine. What then? Where are you going to draw your hope? You're going to think back to your last run? You know, that wonderful breakfast at the Mall of Africa? Those things don't offer hope. They're just distractions to keep us from facing up to just how hopeless we really are. I think of the video we just watched. When you are desperate, and perhaps that's you this morning, when you are desperate, you need real hope to draw. Where are you going to find it? We find it in the truth that we confess to each other every time we meet together. What is the content of that confession? What is the truth that, that sits at the foundation of this hope? What is going to help us face the future together? comes in the next encouragement, verse 22. Have a look there. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The hope we need in our darkest hour can only be found in God. Father, Son, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. The encouragement here in verse 22, to draw near, it's to draw near with, with an undivided heart, with full assurance of faith, with a clear conscience. When everything is against us, we need the full assurance that God is for us. That's the only true hope that remains. This invitation to draw near to God is one that you will hear if we are being a church at all. It is one that you will hear every time you meet with other Christians. Draw near to God. Cling to true hope. Love one another. It's the kind of encouragement you can only get when you meet with other believers. It's the purpose of meeting. So let me ask you, is church about you or is it about others? And the answer is yes. You need to be encouraged. You need to encourage others. Because of our culture, most of us tend to ignore or forget or overlook the second one. We are born and nurtured and raised and trained as consumers. It's the air we breathe. And now because of COVID, church is no longer a gathering of God's word, a gathering under God's word of God's people for worship and mutual encouragement. Because of COVID, church is just more online content to be consumed. When I was... Um, Training for ministry, we used to talk about, I'm dating myself here, we used to talk about the ministry of the pew. Anyone still know what a pew is? A pew is an instrument, a long wooden instrument of torture, and is there to remind you that church is not to be enjoyed under any circumstances. That's a pew. Thankfully, we don't talk about pews anymore, we talk about chairs, but we can't even really talk about chairs in this age of COVID. We have to talk about WhatsApp groups and Zoom calls. The ministry of the Zoom, so much cooler than the ministry of the pew. Whatever you call it, this is the basic idea. When you gather, when we gather with the rest of the church family, if you are part of that gathering, you are an encouragement to others just by turning up. Do you think about church like that? This morning, is an opportunity to worship and to encourage my brothers and sisters in the faith. Is that what you're thinking when, you, when you're preparing for church? Here's a woman who is struggling with sin. I'm going to remind her that she can draw near to her father, her heavenly father, with her conscience cleansed, with full assurance of faith, with no doubt, because of the precious blood of Jesus. Here's a man who, is, who has been utterly crushed by his divorce. I'm going to remind him of the hope that we confess in Christ. Here's a teenager who's looking for a place to fit in. I'm going to encourage her to use all her energy and her youthfulness to serve the less fortunate, maybe by 
wrapping gifts for those at Nakupila, for the kids at Nakupila. I'm going to encourage her to find her identity in service because her master is a servant. You see how church works? But the penny has to drop for all of us. And, and it has to drop repeatedly. Church is not just content to be consumed. It's not about the people on the stage. We are all of us, each one of us, individually, uniquely, part of it. Without you, the church loses something unique, something it cannot get anywhere else. You encourage others just by showing up. The church needs you just as much as you need the church. Now, obviously, COVID brings its own challenges. I understand that, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But this penny needs to drop, and it needs to drop repeatedly. Church is not just about what others are doing up there. It's for all of us. It's about what we are doing for each other. And grasping that will only happen if and when you grasp the deep motivations for church. So let's just recap. Let's just take a breath and recap. The command, don't stop gathering. The purpose of meeting, to encourage each other. Now the motivation, those deep motivations I just referenced. The motivation for meeting, and there's one at the beginning of our passage, one at the end. It's as if the command and the purpose only exist within these deep motivations. So one at the beginning, one at the end. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So we had our three encouragements in verses 22 to 24. Let us, let us, let us. And here in these verses, we have the motivations behind those encouragements. Since this, then this. Since this, let us, let us, let us. Since what? Or rather, since who? Jesus. Because he has opened a new and living way by his blood. Because he is the great high priest over the church and he sacrificed himself, no further sacrifices are required. Our guilt and our shame has been dealt with and that means we can approach God with confidence. Imagine it. You can approach God Almighty with boldness. How could that possibly be? Because your access depends on Jesus. The only thing worth saying in the presence of God is I'm with him. It's the only thing worth saying. I'm with Jesus. It's the only thing worth saying and it's enough. It's enough. Why? Because he is enough. When you think of who he is, when you think of, of what he's done, doesn't it make you love him? Wouldn't you cast aside any other love, any other competing affection of your heart as worthless, utterly worthless? 
When you savor his beauty and his kindness, don't you want to just join the writer to the Hebrews and shouting from the rooftops, let us draw near to God because of Jesus. Let us confess the hope we have in him. Let us love each other and do good because he loved us first. And let's make sure we meet together to make it all happen. That's the first motivation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what he did to rescue us when he came as our high priest. The second motivation is once again the Lord Jesus Christ. But this time he's playing a different role. It's right there again in our key verse, verse 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is this day that's drawing near? What is this day that is approaching like a steam train? It's the day of judgment. It's the day when Jesus returns in his capacity as judge. As judge. We see that so clearly. You can't miss it in the verses that follow. So verse 26, 4, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. Reject Jesus as high priest and you will face him as judge. There's just no way to escape it. The whole way through Hebrews, the writer is warning this local church against falling away, against shrinking back, against turning back under trial. Don't we face the very same temptations right now? And so these warnings are for us. When we meet, we encourage one another to draw near to God. We invite each other back to the Father on the basis of the Son, of who Jesus is, of what he's done. The writer says, meet together, Christians. Meet to encourage each other because the day of judgment is coming. It is one day closer today than it was yesterday. And you do not want to fall away. Because if you do, there is nothing waiting for you except a fury of fire that will consume the enemies of God. That language is not exactly PC, but who cares? It's in the Bible. And it's there as an act of love, as an act of mercy to save us from hell. That's motivation to keep meeting if ever there was one. And 
motivation is the key. Motivation is absolutely key. I'm not trying to guilt you into connecting with other Christians, mainly because guilt doesn't work. It's not a healthy, sustainable motivation. It might give us some short-term results, a few, few more people in the seats next week, here just purely out of guilt, but it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not going to keep people coming back. We need a real reason. We need a deep motivation, a heart motivation, and Jesus is that motivation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus is our motivation. We need no other. Why church? That was our question. Why church? The command is to meet together. The purpose is to encourage each other in faith, hope, and love. The motivation is Jesus. Jesus is our high priest and Jesus is our judge. One last little phrase for us to consider back in our key verse, verse 25. Let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. This thing is habit forming. It happens by degree. So earlier on in in this letter, the writer to the Hebrews warns this local church to pay careful attention so that they do not drift away. I don't know if this is in the range of your experience, but drifting happens slowly. So slowly you can hardly notice it. So at the beginning of lockdown, you got up Sunday morning, that first Sunday, you had a shower, you got dressed, you were there on the couch. Ten minutes before church at home, you were ready. You did the coffee hangout with your life group after the service. Uh, You met with them again on Wednesday via Zoom, and you phoned someone uh, in, your ch- in the church family, someone you knew would just love to hear your voice. That's right at the beginning. One month in, you were a little late to logging in because you were busy making coffee. You skipped the hangout afterwards with your life group because it just makes the church morning so long. Uh, you go to the midweek Zoom meeting, but you're not calling anyone. Twelve months in, You've taken to going for a run or a ride Sunday mornings. It's just such a nice time to do it. So you only make every second service. Catch up on YouTube. Life group, when you can. April 2021. You're listening to this sermon on a Tuesday morning because you've now joined the running club. Uh, And it's the first Christchurch sermon you've listened to in a month or so because you like to mix it up. And let's face it, they just just are better preachers around. You see how this happens? Some surveys in the U.S. are predicting that there's likely to be a 30% decline in local church attendance after COVID. 30%. One in three Christians is going to move online and privatize their faith. Or they're going to drop out altogether. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens by degree. It's called drift. It's a habit that is formed over time. The good thing about habits, as Michelle was so clearly, I'm so glad she came before me, so clearly describing for us this morning, the good thing about habits is that you can form new ones. It can be done. It's not easy. Ask any smoker. Breaking a habit is a fight, it's a grind, it's a struggle. 
And breaking the habit of selfishness or, or laziness is so much harder. The temptation is relentless. The addiction is so much stronger. Make no mistake, if we want church, we are going to have to fight for it. Don't be confused about that. We're in a fight. But we can fight for it, and we must fight for it. We can resist the spell of sleepy drift that COVID is placing on us. And we can do it in small, intentional, but very practical, habit-forming ways. So let me just give you a few suggestions. If you don't have a comorbidity and you're not in a high-risk category, then it's simple, isn't it? You book for Sunday service and you come. You come to this gathering. Now, I'm not suggesting for one second that we flout regulations or we take silly risks. Please hear me. I'm not suggesting that. But if we are willing to risk going to Builder's Warehouse, right, the new one, it's new, in Midrand, our own builders, we've arrived. <laughs> or Food Lovers Market. Or your friend's bride. Then surely we should be willing to risk going to church. Aren't the stakes a little higher? If you can't attend for whatever reason, and I know there are valid reasons, but each one of us has to examine our own hearts on this. If you can't attend for whatever reason, then get up on a Sunday, shower, get dressed into your Sunday best. Be logged on, church at home, five minutes early. Sing the songs, pray the prayers, as if you are here in the auditorium. After the service, meet with your life group on the coffee hangout. If, they, if they're not doing that, suggest to your leader that you do. And if they're no takers, well then phone three people on Sunday. Just to connect with them. Make Sunday about connecting with other believers. We thank God for the technology to be able to do that. During the week, you can pray for one person a day. Just pick five people that you know at church. Pray for one a day. Do that every week for a month and then pick another five. Make sure you attend your life group midweek. Even if, it, if it's on, only on Zoom. If you're not a member of a life group, why not? You heard Michelle. Why? It beggars belief for me. Why would you not be part of a life group? If you are not a member of a life group, your chances of gathering with God's people after COVID are very slim. Your risk of drift is so much higher. Who is looking after you? And who are you looking after? If you're not a member of a life group, join one today. Because I promise you tomorrow never comes. In your life groups, week by week, we always confess the hope we have in Christ. And we, but we can also spend a session considering just how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. We can put our heads together. We can get creative. How can we love? Who can we love in this COVID, crazy COVID world? I, I think you get the gist. We could, we could go all morning with just simple, practical things that we can do to form good habits. We need to find those small ways to push back against this tide, this tide that is growing stronger and threatening to wash us away from church. 
We want to live each day in anticipation of being able to meet together again without any restrictions. So that when the restrictions are lifted, we don't hesitate. We are fit and ready and we're first in the queue. Here's part of the challenge we face. We just don't know how long this thing is going to last. We don't know how high this tide is going to rise. So how are we going to keep going? Because it takes a lot of effort to resist the tide. How do we keep fighting this, this noble fight that we're in? We listen to the voice of God in Hebrews 10. As long as it is called today, we listen to his voice. We hear his voice. He calls to us. He reminds us of the choice we face. He reminds us that he has opened a new and living way in his son, in the precious blood of his son. And he invites us, our Father, with open arms to come to him with full confidence, to draw strength from him, to draw strength and encouragement from him, to draw near to him as we draw near to his people. We are invited by our loving Heavenly Father to draw near, to confess our hope to each other, to love one another as we meet together. He is calling to us to draw near to Him to Jesus, in Jesus, to draw near to Him in Jesus as we draw near to one another. And because He's our loving Heavenly Father, he also warns us to reject this invitation, to isolate yourself, to wander off on your own, is to risk the slow drift into hell. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you with our whole hearts this morning for the church. We thank you for giving us the gift of each other, united as we are in your son, in his precious blood. We know that you bought this church with his blood. Help us to prize the church for the precious gift that it is. Help us to recognize the blessings we have as we gather, to encourage each other as we draw near to you, to confess our hope in Christ, to love each other, to serve each other, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, even if we can only do these things digitally. Help us to resist the constant pressure to drift away from the church and away from you. Help us instead to rejoice in the church and to make every effort in the power of your Spirit to live out its blessings. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Friends, been so good to be with you all. Um, if you do need prayer, please stay in your seats. One of uh, our pastors will come and pray with you. Uh, just to remember social distancing as we exit. Let's look after each other. Let's love each other in that way. And um, don't forget, if you'd like to give via SnapScan, the uh, posters are up, up on the pillars just as you exit. Have a blessed week in Christ this week. And we will be back here together next Sunday, God willing.